So Genesis 15 on page 11. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Elysia of Damascus? Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am Yahweh who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? He said to him, Bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to him, split them down the middle, and laid the pieces opposite each other, but he did not cut up the birds. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, your offspring will be foreigners in a land that does not belong to them. They will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. However, I will judge the nation they serve and afterward they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. In the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring, from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Catmanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. The next Bible reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly. But because of him who is subjected to it in, this, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into glorious freedom of God's children. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labour pains until now. And not only that, but we also, but we ourselves who have the spirit, sorry, I've just skipped a line. Wait on. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labour pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we all we were saved, yet hope that has seen is not hope. Because who, who, he who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Thanks, Jim and Simon. Please uh, keep your Bibles open. If you could turn them to Genesis 12, that would be great. We're running late because we all shared so much. That's awesome. Uh, let me pray for us quickly. God, thanks so much for your word, and we do pray that as we spend time in it, you will show us Jesus more clearly. Please expand our vision of life and the world and of you. Amen. Friends, I wonder what your dreams are. What are your big hopes in life? Or to put it a bit more concretely, what would make your life better? Maybe there's some problems in life, things you'd love to have fixed up. What would make it better? Maybe health Maybe that next step in in the career, family, partner. Maybe the whole thing's a mess and you want the whole thing fixed up. This week's our first week in our series in Genesis, which is called Generation Better. The joy of waiting on the God who promised something better. Now, I don't know what all your hopes and dreams are, what you think would make life better. Um, I could guess some of them. Um, But can I say, Genesis actually promises us something better. And all that. Genesis diagnoses a bigger problem than we usually think about and then promises a solution that's grander than than we ever dared hope for. Genesis isn't a book uh, full of bedtime stories. It's, It's actually a foundational book. And my hope and prayer is that as we spend time in it together, God will actually kind of lift us up, show us his big perspective, his cosmic perspective, And then plonk us back in our lives with a vision for life and the world that is simply better. And tonight we begin at Genesis 12 and this great promise God has to the world. A promise of something better. God's promise is for a blessed new beginning for the world. We're going to be spending three weeks with Abraham and his wife Sarah. And this week we're just focusing on that. God's promise, a blessed new beginning for the world. But to understand um, this promise that comes in chapter 12 of Genesis, we've, we've got to get the context. Um, so let's go back to the beginning. Genesis 1. God makes the world and it's wonderful. He blesses it. And he says to Adam and Eve in chapter 1 verse 28, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it. And so that's the blessing. It's a blessed place where it starts, and he, give his, he gives his people this blessed vocation. And yet we know it doesn't stay that way, does it? In chapter 3, we find Adam and Eve thinking, well, I don't think we're quite that blessed enough, God. And so they rebel against him. And the result comes 
in chapter 3, verse 16, where God says, Now, Eve, you're going to bear children in anguish. You were meant to fill the earth. Now it's going to be anguish. Adam, you were meant to kind of rule over the land and, and have the land for yourself. Now the land is cursed because of you. By the sweat of your brow will you, will you eat from it all the days of your life. See what's happened? We started with blessing and we've moved because of sin into a world of curse. A world under the curse of sin. And that's exactly what we see unfolded over the next eight chapters or so. Or so, less, anyway. Chapters 4 to 11, we see a whole world under the curse of sin. Sin is like a virus without a cure. People can't stop doing it. And the world suffers the consequences we all do. Friends, isn't that our world? I would have thought that if any time in history you could say, yes, our world is under the curse of sin. It's now, isn't it? You look at our big picture world, we've got Ebola outbreaks, we've got Iraq, Syria, all this stuff going on. You look at our individual lives. There's hurts and pains and disappointments. And then there's the sin that we just can't seem to stop doing. We're in a world under the curse of sin. And that, friends, is the canvas upon which Genesis is painted. The whole world. A world under the curse of sin. But into that world comes this promise, like a ray of light. The promise of a blessed new beginning for the world. Look with me at Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, just like he said in the beginning to create the world, let there be light, now he's speaking again. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. What's the key word? Yeah, right, bless. It's obvious. Do you see what's going on? Blessing in the beginning, the curse because of sin, God's now promising blessing again. Who to? All peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. He wants to restore this world to blessing, to how it ought to be. Restore it to how we know in our hearts it ought to be. This is the promise that drives the Bible story along. And you notice, more particularly, that there was a blessing of childbearing and land and rule. And the curse was against childbearing and and kind of land and rule. And here we go. The blessing, the promise. You will be a great nation. And I'll give you land and you will be, you know, you'll have a great name. You'll be top dog. You'll rule. God's promising to take us back to this blessing. He's renewing his world. And it's a big picture. That's what's going on. This This is a grand story. I don't know if you've seen that, that show on Channel 2, Grand Designs, you know the one where this couple think, I know, we'll build a house out of hay with a curvy roof. That's grand. And you think, well, it's a good show. I don't want to bag it out. But grand, come on, friends, this is grand. The whole world renewed back to blessing. And us too. 
Friends, this is the beefy Bible story. I used to have a skinny, runtish Bible story. In my head as a Christian, for a long time, this is all it was. The whole Bible story was this. I've done the wrong thing. I haven't loved God. I haven't loved people. I deserve punishment. God has loved me. He sent his son to the world to die for me so that my sin would be forgiven and I could go to heaven and be with him. Is that true? Pretty well. Wonderfully true. Gloriously true. Totally individualistic. Tiny. The Bible story is so much bigger, friends. It's global. It takes everything. It takes everything in. How's it going to happen? This worldwide blessing, restoration? Well, chapter 12, verse 3, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, through you, Abraham, through your family, through the Israelites. That's why most of the Bible is about the Israelites. And yet we know they fail, and the blessings come to us through Jesus, Abram's son. As we trust in him, we receive these blessings, these promises, but it's not all about you. It's not just about individuals getting the promises. It's about the whole world, friends. And we, blessed people, get caught up in that worldwide story as we trust in him. When I began to realize this, that I'm just a small part of a much bigger story, I found it liberating. It's not all about me. I found myself able to start reading the Bible and I could stop asking the question, where am I in this text? What does this have to say to me and my life today? I, I could stop doing that because I just wanted to see God's big story. Because I'm part of that. That's glorious. And I found, uh, actually, it put my problems and issues into perspective. You know, sometimes when you're caught up in yourself and your own problems and a good friend of yours, they've got to be very close friends, says to you, look, you've got to pull your head out. Do you know that? And you're like, oh, come on. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're actually right. That's what Genesis does for us. Lifts us up and gives us a much, much bigger picture. It's not just about me. It's about God and his glory and the world. And obviously, we are wonderfully caught up in that story as we trust in him. And of course, this is where worldwide mission fits in as well, but that's for another day. Friends, this story, it's liberating. And more than that, it's, it's relevant. You see, the skinny, runtish version of Christianity is personally engaging. It really is. It's wonderful. But it's publicly irrelevant. Your friends don't really care that you have a friendship with God, wonderful though it may be. This big story, the beefy Bible story, is relevant. It has something to say about climate change, about worldwide crises, about ethics. When you walk outside the church here and you look and see people walk past and planes in the sky and all the rest, it has something to say about them. God has intentions for those people. They might not be, want to be part of what he's doing, but it doesn't change his purposes. History is a river, friends. It's a river heading in one direction, 
and it's sweeping everything along with it, like it or not. So I'm not sure what kind of hopes and dreams you were thinking of at the beginning. But I'd love for us as a church to be grasped by this bigger vision, this better vision. Personally, I find it, I almost can't let myself dream this dream. I can't kind of get my head around it quite. But Genesis invites us to have better dreams than just the house or the family or or the career but to have a dream whereby all those good desires in our hearts for those things are wrapped up and brought together to a better fulfillment. A world restored to blessing. That's the dream. Friends, the good news is it's not just a dream. That's the second thing I want to say tonight. It's not just a dream. This is God's promise. He's promised a blessed new beginning for the world. Chapter 15 of Genesis is kind of the key moment of this great promise. Would you look at that with me? Chapter 15 of Genesis, Abram's a bit uh, kind of scared that God won't keep his promise, and so God restates it. See verse 5. God took Abram outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars, if you're able to count them. Have you, have you ever tried to do that? You're kind of being in the, in the country on a clear night and kind of, do you know what I mean? Kind of diamonds on the black backdrop. And God says, your offspring will be that numerous. And Abram's response is famous. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. Abram took God at his word. But here's the point I want to get at. God doesn't just leave it as his word. He goes beyond it. God binds himself to this promise through covenant. Covenant is kind of like a, a kind of a promise relationship contract type thing. Um, now, back in those days, they didn't have legal teams or signatures or kind of memorandums of understanding or anything like that. Um, so the way you'd make a contract or a covenant is you'd chop some animals in half. And the lawyers here are thinking, I'm glad times have changed. The desk would be very messy, wouldn't it? Working through a contract. Oh, well, that's weird. Um, intestines and anyway. Chopped out the animals down the middle, put them on either side, and then the two parties of the contract, covenant, would walk through the pieces of animal. Now, the point is, if you or I break this, you're going to end up like the animals, ripped, in, ripped apart. Now, look what happens in Genesis 15 and verse 17. It's a bit strange. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch appeared. That's kind of a symbol of God. And passed between the divided animals. But where's Abram? Isn't there two parties in this contract, in this covenant? Where is he? Asleep. You can't get much more inactive than asleep, can you? And what's the point? God is saying, I'm going to keep this promise. It's about me. It's not about you, Abram. I am going to keep this. I am going to give you the family. I'm going to give you the land, the rule. I am going to restore creation to blessing. I'm going to do it. 
And if I don't, may I be ripped apart like these animals. Now, the incredible irony is, of course, God was, in a sense, ripped apart. Not because he didn't keep his covenant, but in order to do so. You see, all these blessings, these promises in Genesis 12 were meant to come through Abram's family. But they failed, didn't they? We see that right throughout the Old Testament. But then finally, a particular son of Abraham, Jesus Christ, came. This was God coming into his world to keep his promises. He enters into our cursed world, experiences the the, the, the curse of sin, the sting of death in his own body on the tree. And he was ripped apart. He was destroyed. He was killed in order to keep this covenant. You see, three days later after he died, Jesus rose to new life. And in his resurrection, the promises had begun to be fulfilled. Do you see, God promised to restore creation to blessing. Jesus' risen body, his, his own flesh and blood, was restored creation. Do you get that? And so as Jesus rose like a champion from the grave, he held out these promised blessings that, that God promised Abram way back in Genesis 12. At last, they can be offered to you and I. The family can begin to grow, for example. Finally, we can become part of Abram's family, God's family. We had been cut off from him because of our sin, but through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can come near and call God Father. And then we find ourselves meeting other Christians and calling them sister, brother. This is Abram's family, God's family, beginning to grow. The promise is being kept. And then as Jesus rises, he offers the other half of the promise, the land, the rule. He doesn't just kind of rise up and go, hey, you guys can have Palestine again. It's much bigger than that. Romans 4 says that we will inherit the world. We'll rule it. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, um, I can see my kind of Christian family, but I don't see this renewed creation, this new world. Well, friends, I know we can't see it, but trust me, it's begun. It's begun in Jesus' flesh. He is the new creation. It's begun. And it will be completed as surely as he has risen. And it's begun in you and I as well, by the Spirit. You see, the, the Bible speaks of the Spirit as the down payment or the kind of the, the deposit of the new creation, that we will be part of it. Friends, as you and I start to live new kind of lives, that's the power of the new creation Spirit in us. If the new creation Spirit is at work in you, you're guaranteed that you'll, you'll take part in the whole new creation. When Christ returns. As you see in Jesus, God keeps his promise. He's faithful. He promised he'd do it. He covenanted himself that he would do this, these promises. And he has. 
I find this such a comfort. You see, God has made promises to you and I of something better. There's so many things in this world where we think, no, surely, God, this, this is better. This thing over here, this pro- that's what I want. And he says, no, I've, I've made a promise to you of something even better. <laughs> something to which that is just a shadow. Good though it may be, he's promised something better. And he will stop at nothing to make it happen. Do you hear that? He will stop at nothing to make it happen. He didn't stop, did he? He was ripped apart to keep this covenant, to keep this promise. And friends, it's begun. He's kept his promise. It's true in Jesus. By the Spirit, it's true in us. He's restoring us. He's restoring his world. The only question is, are you going to be part of it? Are you going to be part of this renewed world? Well, how would you? How would, how would you take part in it? Some of you might be here and you're thinking, this sounds all right, I'd like to take part of it. Some of you are here and you're thinking, yeah, I already am part of it, it's great. How do you take part in it? It's, it's the same for both of you, whatever camp you're in. The answer is chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God. We take part in it by trusting in him. Now, we're about to start this series, and yet we've started this series in Genesis. It's going to be all about trusting God, so we'll hear a lot more about that as we go. But I want to sum up tonight just by reading, uh, again, some of Romans 8, which Joe read to us before, an abridged version, because it captures so much uh, of what we're on about tonight. Let me read from Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, how are you suffering? I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the whole creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits of new creation, we also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for full adoption, the redemption of our bodies, the full blessing, the experience of this restoration. We groan for that. Now in this hope we were saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Brothers and sisters, we have a great hope, a better hope, And it's a sure hope because Jesus is risen. God is faithful.